Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake Podcast. My name is Kieran Clark and spring has now officially sprung. Evening golf is about to be imminently restored to our calendars and the Masters is upon us. It's quite a time to be a golfer and we're expecting a huge response on Golf Shake following an encouraging beginning to this year. So get score tracking as we enter April. However, and the good things keep on coming... As I am joined this week on the Golf Shake podcast by our very own ambassador, Andrew Picken. Welcome back, Andy. How are you today? I'm very good, my friend. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. The sun is shining here in the home of golf today on a very, quite a pleasant spring afternoon. So we're, we're recording this uh, in late March, uh, but obviously we're now entering kind of the, the beginning of the golf season. As I say, the clocks are about to change. The Masters is almost here. And that really indicates that the golf season has been restored to our lives. And uh, we hope that so many uh, golfers will be out playing soon and uh, I say tracking their scores and their rounds on Golf Shake and interacting with us in so many different different ways finding their tea times there reviewing courses all the stuff that we'd love to have our golfers doing and we'll hope we'll be getting back into that habit and actually as i say so many of them have been doing so already this year however onto the business at hand on this podcast this week and now andy uh, as our resident uh, golf trip expert you're always traveling here there and everywhere playing golf courses you've embarked on some really memorable adventures on behalf of golf shake um but this time we're going to focus on one particular uh, destination in Scotland, uh, more specifically Carnoustie Country, which is a little part of the world that encompasses uh, 34 golf courses, a series of uh, rather pleasant and cosy pubs and a range of accommodation options, all within really an hour's drive of Carnoustie itself uh, throughout the counties of Angus and Perthshire. So a great part of the world and some terrific places to discover. And Andy, you were on this trip uh, almost a year ago. Uh, so firstly, just to kind of kick us off, tell us a little bit of what Carnoustie Country generally is all about. I'm just going to go back slightly. You define me as an expert. Do you, do you know what the actual definition of that is? Uh, that, <laughs> to, to, to uh, fair, Andy, it's all relative. You you are an expert compared to the rest of us. So that's. I'll um, tell you what kind of an expert I am. An expert, an ex is a has-been and a spurt's a drip under pressure. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Oh, see, that's, that's why you're here. That's it. You like that one. I did like, like that. that. That's, there you go. A, you you are a wordsmith, and that is why you're the perfect man to have on the podcast. So, <laughs> okay, back back to Carnoustie Country. Yes, please. To, to be perfectly honest, it, it it's been a, a wonderful exercise for me actually to to revisit all the the notes and the photographs and the the different sensors that were excited during the course of that trip because um, you, you say thirty four courses, Angus and Perth area, but it's it's just. It's a microcosm of all that's good about golf. It's got wonderful accommodation, the uh, the food, the drink, and the people are from the experiences that I had are absolutely amazing. And you have ranges of golf. It's some of it's incredibly affordable. It's accessible because of the proximity to the airport. You. All of the area is within an hour's travel of major international airports. Everyone's accepted. Um, it, it's for me, 
Um, it's one of the most pleasurable areas in the world that I've visited because of the the eclectic range of um, of courses and experiences that were available uh, during the course of the trip. It was wonderful. Oh, it, it certainly is, and I say it's all obviously an area that's very close to me. So I've I've been to many of these places that you had the chance to visit last year, and um, you know it is a wonderful part of the world. And what I always kind of what I think is uh, perhaps uh, the best part of of golf in this area, and you touched on it there, is just how accessible it is. You know, everybody can come. You know, all the courses are open. You know, they're all generally affordable, and there's some great options there for perhaps of different standards of golfers, different you know, types of golf courses as well. From kind of the, the more classic, uh, rugged links courses, some of the more very immaculate and very well presented inland courses as well. You know, this part of the world has has both types of courses, and uh, you know, it makes for a, a, a tremendous all round experience. And uh, you know, there's. I think as a pound for pound, you know, within such a small area, you know, it is hard to beat. And um, of course, just going a little bit further afield, you're only really a short drive from some other great parts of the world too. You're only a short drive from up towards Aberdeen, where there's great courses there too. And of course, just across uh, the River Tay from Angus, you have Fife, where St Andrews is, of course. So there's so much to enjoy within a relatively small area. And as you touched on there, you're only a short journey away from you know, Dundee, City there has an airport uh, near Carnoustie, only about eight miles away. Aberdeen has an airport. You obviously have Edinburgh and Glasgow that really aren't that far away either. So there's so many different ways to get here. You can even get there by train uh, as well. So there's a whole host of options. So it is certainly accessible. Well, that, that's something that uh, that's something yeah. that I've definitely been looking at. The, the the train because there were so many of the golf golf courses originally ev- developed and evolved around the uh, railway lines that were, were growing up in the Victorian times in mm-hmm. particular, the, there are a number of courses that would be accessible by train. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it really is. It's uh, it's a golfing panacea for me, but it, it's, it's, it, is, it is completely and utterly accessible by any standard of golfer. Um, I've had a look at some of the open competitions that the courses that we're going to talk about uh, are offering, and there's some incredible value to be offered. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you go up there and you were to coincide your trip with some of these open competitions, there's incredible value to be had at some wonderfully quality uh, venues. And I know certainly whenever I've experience them the welcome that i've had as a visitor has been second to none because there's a pride in these courses the and the members are actually really proud to show off what they have in their back garden or very close to their addresses to the visiting golfer it's uh, it's a wonderful experience and combine that with superb food and drink doesn't get much better <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't. And then just quickly on the on the trains there, and anyone who's actually travelled up the east coast of Scotland uh, on the railway would be aware that the railway line quite literally runs alongside Carnoustie Golf Course, the championship course there. You can literally see it from the train. It's a stop, a very short walk away. And also one other course the railway line goes by is Pan Muir Golf Club. It's just a short drive away from Carnoustie, really the other side of the railway line. And it's a golf course that is a very historic golf club, one of the oldest in Scotland, so therefore one of the oldest in the world, and has a great history to it, perhaps best known 
for the, the great Ben Hogan, who of course came over to the Open just once in his lifetime back in 1953 for the Open at Carnoustie. And during his time in Scotland, he actually practiced uh, ahead of that championship at Panmuir, which is a, a real, real quality golf course, one of the finest in the area, maybe slightly overshadowed by the big neighbour that it has in Carnoustie. But in terms of quality, it's it's hard to beat, and it's certainly in the conversation as one of the finest in not just that part of the country, but really in Scotland as a whole. So, Andy, one of the courses you went to play and you reviewed for Golf Shake was Panmuir, and you... I say Ben Hogan famously practiced there back in the day, and I know you really enjoyed that historical connection and walking in the footsteps of Hogan himself. Uh, so what were your impressions of your experience at, at Pam Muir itself? It, it, it Generally, it was a an experience, a golfing experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. Um, it's the 16th oldest golf club in the world. Founded originally 1845 and then moved to its current location um, around 1899. As soon as you get into the car park, you can see that the the clubhouse itself actually is um, mirrored on a clubhouse that's uh, in Royal Calcutta mm-hmm. in uh, over in India. And that's because at the time that it was being developed, there was a number of the members that were involved in the jute trade. And that's why there was the similarity in the design between the two. Mm-hmm. But you park your car in the car park and you walk towards the um, the, the main doors. And, and it's little things like this that I sadly get quite excited about. <laughs> the, the door handles themselves are probably about, two foot in length and they're two silver golf balls upon which has been fixed uh, a two foot long iron and they are the handles that have been fitted to the club and as soon as you get there the place just oozes tradition and heritage um relatively recently up until relatively recently sort of four or five years ago uh, there used to be a separate door for the lady members but that's now been completely rescinded mm-hmm. and it's entirely and utterly welcoming um the the trophy cabinet is something to be literally i, I could have spent hours in there it was incredible uh, the the Dalhouses were the the people who were originally involved in setting it up, and and some of the the silverwork and trophies that they donated uh, are just incomparable. They they must be priceless. Um, but then to link that in with the the history that um, I uncovered for one of my favourite golfers, Ben Hogan, was just an absolute treat. Um, Although an American golfer, the reason why I was particularly interested in him, my late father-in-law, the first once he'd got me into the game of golf, the first instruction booklet um, that he gave me was uh, a copy of Hogan's book, which um, is it's just a thing of beauty. The illustrations in it, the handwritten illustrations are, are wonderful. And it's still an instruction manual that's referred to now. I know Faldo used it as a, as a point of reference and, and it, it's totally valid. Um, and then I knew a little bit about the guy's history, but then when I started to uncover the links that he had with Pan Muir, that just excited me incredibly. And um, by coincidence, as I was playing the course, uh, I ended up uh, getting into the, the sixth bunker, which is christened Hogan's bunker. Um, 
and there's a, a discreet little sign to the side of it explaining that this is Hogan's Bunker. And I thought to myself, well, I, I need to have a dig into this and try and find out what, a little bit more about what's, what's the background and story of this because um, that kind of thing just really excites me. <laughs> and uh, it, it transpired that Hogan had uh, had won the, the U.S., uh the masters in 53 um having been involved in a, a an awful car crash where um he was driving his car and had been hit head on by a greyhound bus uh he'd sort of moved himself in front of his beloved wife in order to protect her from serious injury and i think this occurred in 49 something mm-hmm. like that yeah but he was told by his doctors that the chances of him ever walking again were very remote, but the the type of guy that he was, um, that was something that he, he wasn't going to accept because his attitude was around, um, you would study, you would endure. And he decided that whatever happened, he would get back to the game. The problem was that he was led, left with a legacy of uh, suffering from severe blood clots, which meant that in order to be able to continue to walk and be fit enough to play golf, he had to have a, a at least two ice baths a day in order to just ensure that these clots moved around his body and they didn't cause the embolism that potentially could have been fatal. Um, when he came over to uh, to Scotland, the accommodation that he was given was really modern, modern as you would expect, and the room that he was provided had a shower, which was obviously of no use to him because he needed to have ice baths. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he... He negotiated and swapped with a, an American journalist who came over with him, and arrangements were made for him to move into a slightly lesser um, sort of B and B that was run by the guy who did the cash register company, and all of his rooms were fitted with baths, and uh, he con- coincidentally was uh, a member at Panmure, which is where the, the connections came in, because the film Follow the Sun about his life had been uh, produced, I think, in 51, and when he went to practice at Carnoustie, the Scottish crowds so loved him, uh, and there was like 10,000 people following him around to practice, and he knew that he wouldn't be able to get the level of practice that he required. So he needed to have some privacy. So anyway, he was given basically the courtesy of Pan Muir um, to be able to do his practice. And um, he, the committee agreed that he could alter the 17th green and could mow it in a way that would be an exact replica of the greens that he would be playing on at Carnoustie. Uh, but a measure of the man having done that, um, he then stripped down the lawnmowers and cleaned them and greased them. And they went back in a better condition than they'd actually been given to him. Uh, and he made such a positive impression on all the staff there. Obviously, wartime rationing was still in place, but the entire staff clubbed all their rations together in order to be able to provide steak for him to eat because they wanted him to be the fittest and strongest that he could be. Um, at, at an astonishing individual. The uh, the committee of the club wanted him to join in with a meal to celebrate his involvement. But at the time, they had a, a rule that professionals, golf professionals, couldn't eat in the dining room. So what Mr. Hogan decided to do was to eat with the steward and his wife in the kitchen with the door open 
in order to give access to the committee as a protest about the way in which the professional was being handled. Um, and of course, the, the rest is history, really, when he went on to win the um, the Open. The suggestion is that in the interviews following his success, he was asked what was his favourite hole, and he replied, the sixth at Panmure. <laughs> um, and that, I, I know I, sadly, I get excited about this kind of history and being able to to follow in the footsteps of these kind of individuals. You know, I'll never play at Webley. I'll never be able to play tennis at Wimbledon. Mm. But the fact that we can, as lowly amateur golfers, have access to this quality of facility and be able to enjoy the similar experiences that these heroes have had, for me, is just a wonderful, exciting thing. And it's accessible to all. No, it certainly is. And I think that is one of the great things about golf is that you can really play the same stages that the greats have done. And there's really no other sport that you can do that with. And that's it sort of goes against the impression of golf being elitist that way, where ultimately you, know, you can play these courses. And uh, certainly in this country, and, and that's a, a wonderful thing. And, and Pam Muir is a great experience for anybody who wants to be connected uh, with the heritage of the game and a wonderful layout in its own right. So Andy, now moving from Pam Muir, now going a little bit further north, up the coast, you, have, you come to the town of Montrose, uh, which is mm. home to what is reputedly the fifth oldest golf course in the world. It was known for many, many years as the medal course at Montrose, but now it's been renamed the 1562 course to sort of connect with that great history and, and real you know, legacy within the game. You know, we touched on it before recording the podcast and that it's, it's really the ultimate rugged and natural links course. It is really connecting back to the game in its purest form. And it's one that you certainly enjoyed. And you had a quote in the in your review on Golf Shake from the great Ben Crenshaw, the two-time Masters champion and real student of the game. And he described the 1562 course at Montrose as being a magnificent stretch of marvellously natural ground which depicts how the game was born. So quite a, a validation there. And I imagine, Andy, that was something that you also felt when you were at Montrose. Oh, hundred percent. Um, I, I, the the course had been sort of scripted and born by Mother Nature, and had then been adapted um, by man to play this wonderful game. And there's a real synergy between the two. They're, and also the people that are the current custodians of it, because that's the thing for me, the fact that this has passed on from generations to generations and has evolved and developed, but each different generation has cared for the, the layout and the course and the other things that went with it with such love and devotion just shows what an important facility is it's the the fifth oldest in the world um and and there's a real there's a real subtlety to the appreciation of this type of um facility by the people who are lucky enough to call it home because the by the by the first tee there's a wonderfully framed piece and an infographic that talks about the history of the links and all the different things that link in with it. And um, the earliest reference there is 1562 
there's a young lad called James Melville being taught how to play, how to use the glub, G-L-U-B, for golf <laughs> back in 1562. Um the ultimate stag do occurred there in 1629 when the Marquis of Montrose had a game of golf the night before he was due to get wed on the Montrose links. Um, but in addition to that, the, the, the beauty of this place is that it's an intrinsic and important part of the town itself. Uh, they used to use it for archery, horse racing, the drying of fishing nets and the pasturing of animals. Um, is one of the things that was on the original documentation allowing it to be uh, to be used. Um, in, in the middle of the 19th century, 1866, they'd got 25 different holes available across the links. And it was in 1888 that old Tom Morris came down and picked out a circular routine of 18 of those 25 holes in order to be able to sort of tighten things up from a, a, a time point of view. Um, and you're talking about the absolute legends of the game, Willie Park Jr., old Tom Morris, Ben Sayers, playing at this location back in 1888. It's Honestly, this place, if you could see the ghosts of the people past that have played it, golf history is being it's there mm. and and it's being relived and enjoyed by those who currently uh, look after it. it it it's an amazing experience um and then you get the weather and then you get the layout and some of these holes uh are in preparing for getting ready to talk to you, I went back through some of my photos and there's a video of me stood on the uh the second tee and I'm literally we couldn't use it on golf shake because of the sound because of the wind but i'm so excited trying to describe the scene as the waves are crashing over i can taste the sea spray now and the winds buffeting but what a just an unbelievable golfing experience that is accessible to any single golfer and if you can do it do it it's amazing <laughs> well there you go that is the ultimate review right there and i think it's it's spot on i think it's for anyone who wants to experience the game at its purest uh, it, it is it has to be on your list it really does and it's a great place to go and play um and, and i say we don't be on anyone's proverbial bucket list it's, it's certainly affordable and accessible and it would be a, it's a, one of the great highlights of this tremendous part of the world in Carnoustie country but as a slight change of pace now, Andy, and kind of illustrating the variety that you get in this part of the world, so we have the grand championship venues of Carnoustie. We, we actually have time to talk about that today because it's, it's, it's so much other things to discuss. But Carnoustie, obviously, itself, you know all about it. A great venue, legendary open championship course, one of the finest courses in the world. It lives up to its reputation. It's a great setup, the hotel being there and the new modern clubhouse. We covered that in a previous podcast. We also have features on the website too that we'll link off to on the website but moving on now to another kind of lesser known part of this whole story and I think that's kind of the the great part about the Carnoustie country is yes you have the big centerpiece in Carnoustie itself but there's all of these things that are near it that are maybe you don't have the same recognition but offer a tremendous experience and certainly Pam Muir and Montrose are perhaps the two best examples of that but 
On a slightly different level, we have, uh, going a few more miles away, we have uh, uh, Murray's Hall, uh, which is very near, uh, one of my many hometowns of Perth. Um, and it's a great venue there with a fantastically, relatively newly refurbished hotel uh, with two golf courses there. And it certainly seems to me to be a, a great venue for a, a golf break for maybe a one or two night stay with a group of friends or family or whatever else it might be. And it's, it's a, obviously a different style of golf compared to the Montrose or Pam Muir. But for Andy, would you say that it's a, a venue that people should consider uh, for a stay and play break? A hundred percent. Um while while I was there, there was a group, a society group that were playing there, uh, and they'd returned to the same venue f- four years, one after the other. Mm. Now, given all of the uh, opportunities in this area for different people to try different locations, such was the quality and fun of what they were having. The the food was superb. The hotel is superb. It's it's evolved and developed. It's a 400-year-old mansion, uh, and there's in the region of about 2 million quid been spent on the golf course and the hotel itself some of the scenery around the two courses that they have accessible it's literally it's jaw-dropping because when you start to look at the mountains and and try and orientate yourself to where you are it genuinely is distracting from the golf um the parkland layouts that they're, they're intricate they're tight you've really got to map your way around but as a as a stay and play venue and a base from which to explore other facilities that are around there i thoroughly enjoyed the trip um the the welcome there very knowledgeable staff um it it was an excellent place to visit. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time at Murray's Hall. And it's an area of, of Scotland that I would love to get. I think I'm probably going to have to revisit um, because I, I felt like there were so many areas that were untapped um, from my personal experience. Um, yeah, thoroughly recommend it. Oh, definitely. And the great bit, of, the great part of a. Uh about Perthshire as a, as a region, as a county in Scotland, is that it brings together the lowlands and the highlands and the two kind of linked in, link in together. So you look in one direction, you see kind of the, the lower half of Scotland, which is a bit flatter, a bit more pastoral ground. And then you can look the other way, as you touched on there, you see all the mountains and the hills and the horizon. Uh, it's a, a wonderful place, a great part of the world, I see somewhere that I called home for for many many years and you know i I would recommend it to anybody and i think murray's hall is a great base for anyone there to to explore from but actually you know i I said a a minute or two ago that we didn't have much time to talk a little bit about carnistry but you know i think it'd be remiss of us if we don't touch on it a little bit obviously it's the the centerpiece of this part of the world we saw it showcased last year at the open championship you know uh, obviously, a great championship there, memorable one, and it showed the golf course and the area at its best. And I say, in recent times, there has been some changes at Carnoustie. They recently uh, created a new, brand new clubhouse that opened up last year ahead of the Open, which has this incredible restaurant called the Rookery. Also downstairs, and if you have this wonderful indoor series of indoor simulators that can be used by the the public in the local area. I think local children are able to use it for free of charge. And obviously anyone can go and play there and sort of experience the golf course before they go out and play it for real in genuine conditions. So Andy, you didn't have a chance to go and really play 
Carnoustie, the golf course. You had one shot, which was hmm, in, inauspicious, I think, at best, it's fair to say. But as a venue, did you feel the grandeur of going to a place like Carnoustie when you were there? Definitely. Um, I I was able to enjoy the experience of the, the hotel, the site hotel, and also the experience of the setting up for the open because the stands were being mm-hmm. built and the excitement and everything that preceded it. Um, I did get to play the 18th on the championship course, but uh, obviously there are three courses there in, within the championship links, the Budden, the Burnside, and the, uh, the links itself. And unfortunately... I was hoping you weren't going to mention that he shot on 18, but clearly word has gone, gone around about probably the worst tee shot ever seen at Carnoustie off the championship links because, um, down the entire length of that 18th hole is out of bounds and it adjoins the budden and about 240 yards away from the tee is the green at budden and i very nearly decapitated some poor soul who was just about to take a putt he did get a call he did avoid it nobody was hurt nobody was killed in the making of this <laughs> of this film um but it was just more than a little embarrassing um but having said that that's the championship mm-hmm. course it's an intimidating course it's one of the most difficult in the world and i completely and utterly bottled it <laughs> <laughs> to be fair I, I apologize for being slightly cruel there but to be fair you aren't the first person who has uh, hit a bad shot off that tee i mean even the, the best players in the world have hit some shockers off that tee as you see it's a very intimidating hole there's so much trouble either side and in, in front of you and I say that the hotel in front, right in the horizon provides a great sort of frame of reference. But you know, Carnoustie. Well, it, it was my, it was my version of John Van der Waal. But you see, the thing is, but, when, I, uh, when I played Carnoustie last year with uh, Darren and Owen, also from Golf Shake, uh, I like John Van der Waal. I made a triple bogey on the 18th. But the thing was, mine mm-hmm. was far less memorable. He he did it far more spectacularly than I did. I sort of bumped up there and made seven. He was all over the place, but not quite the same. But yeah, again, I, I, I can tell you a little story about how that's now recorded. I, I, a wonderful experience. We had a, a breakfast meeting with Craig Boath. Uh, who at the time was the head greenkeeper and he's now moved on to be the superintendent of all the links who is a, a smashing fella a really interesting guy and his job as part of the greenkeeping staff following that open championship was to repair the damage to the ditch uh, to the burn that had been caused when Vanderveld went in to paddle and he took it upon himself on his own initiative uh, when the concrete was still wet to carve in the name Van der Velde, <laughs> which then became recorded and he recorded him. But having said that, Jean later found out that that's what had been done and went back and had a brilliant photograph, a, a, a selfie, if you like, with him and Craig, which he considers to be one of his uh, treasured life memories and, and quite rightly too. But uh, yeah, sorry. I no, digress. no, wonderful stuff. <laughs> Again, that what I was going to say there was what we our our experiences of the 18th hole obviously weren't the best but it does show you again comes back to the idea of being able to walk in the footsteps of 
the great championships and the great players and Carnoustie is a venue that obviously can deliver that. It's a public course, a public venue, very easy to get on. Obviously, it can be a little bit pricey compared to many of these other courses, but as an experience, it is certainly worth having, doing for any golfer. Uh, but just quickly, Andy, one other course that you had a chance to go and visit, not play, but go around and sort of feel the, the hospitality around it, uh, was Edsel Golf Club, which is a very nice parkland course in the heart of Angus, uh, which is, a, again, a, again a different style of golf compared to these kind of more quintessential links courses. But Edsel is a, is a great venue. I have a relative who's a member there. Um, so what were your impressions of what you saw when you were at Edsel Golf Club? Um in essence, traditional, friendly, extremely welcoming, a lovely uh, parkland layout. Some quirky little features. Um, there's a bomb crater uh, adjacent to one of the greens that was um, when there was a returning German bomber loosed off a, a bomb that landed. And what they've done is that that's all grassed over. So you've still got this enormous bomb crater wow. that's left there. Uh, some incredible views and the setting is absolutely stunning. Um, the driving range that's there is a really interesting facility as well. It's multicolored. It's designed to engage the local youngsters. I loved it. Uh, it, it was like a top golf facility without it being top golf. Um, it's a really, really excellent um, facility that, a lot of people use all the the target areas have got sort of different dyed grasses and things and and it's great um so a hundred percent would i recommend um playing at edzel i didn't get to play it but i did get to do a tour of the course and its layout itself and i was really impressed with it um and then we returned back to the clubhouse to um to be then invited to go and visit the uh, Glenesque Hotel, which is literally 25 yards away from the first tee, um, which was a memorable experience in itself. Um, the, uh, they have something called the 360-degree bar, which is the current Guinness World Book of Records holder for the number of whiskies available in any one single location. They have uh, guys there who are the equivalent of sommeliers with all the, the top vintage wines. So they've literally got thousands of different whiskies available for purchase and trial. And, um, and when we arrived, I was given um, a whiskey tasting board, which had six different whiskies so imagine it's a a piece of wood that's about a foot by 10 inches square six holes cut into it tasting notes for all of the individual whiskies and then a little tot of all these different styles and flavors of whiskey for us to try matched in with the local cuisine so some was uh the, there was like a, a terrine there was some salmon dishes there was venison but then all of the whiskies had been particularly chosen and the flavors and the notes in order to complement the wines now the hotel itself is a is wonderful um swimming pool little spa area uh 
the restaurant was absolutely astonishing. But the fact then that you have this um, whiskey tasting facility that's incomparable that you'll find nowhere else in the globe, and it literally is 25 yards away from the first tee of this golf course. For me, I'm biased. That's a location I'm going to go back and revisit. Oh, it's, it sounds tremendous. And I think, you know, I, 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 that really showcases the, you know, it's not just about the golf. You know, there's great cuisine there. Obviously, there's you know, plenty of whiskies and gins to go and to try too. So there's so much to enjoy in Carnoustie Country and obviously specifically there in Edsel. But I think all the venues here really tick that box and that there is much to enjoy away from the golf course. And what there is in the golf course is so good as it is, it really shows why this is a such a, a great destination and why everybody, I think, should really consider it. So, Andy, can, to kind of conclude uh, this podcast, you know, you've been to many great trips uh, over the past few years, been associated with Golf Shake all across the country and in Europe and beyond. And you, know, you, you touched on at the start of the podcast what you felt made this part of the world, what made Carnoustie Country so unique and so special. You know, if I was to ask you to kind of, obviously you had a chance to visit there, but obviously there's so much of it that remains untapped for you because there's so many courses, so many places to go and see. You know, how would you encapsulate it? And how would you sell it to somebody who asked you, you know, where should I go for my next golf break? Why should Carnoustie Country be the one that I take? You know, why should the people go to this part of the world? I, th- I think it's accessibility. It's affordable because literally you can pick and choose. If you want to spend a lot of money because you're, you're looking for a lifetime experience, you've got Carnoustie. If you want to pay green fees of 20, 30 quid for something that's as really good quality golfing experience you can do. The food and drink that's on offer there is quite incredible and unique. But for me... I think probably the overarching thing is the level of welcome that I was given mm-hmm. while we were there and the fact that I would want to then explore further. Um, I've One of my bucket list items that I'm going to be looking at is to go and visit Dundee because I want mm-hmm. to see the V&A yeah. because I'm hearing some incredible yeah, things about that and to use that as a base and then move out and explore the general area around that I can't think of a better way to spend a week than to go and fit it in with the family, be able to plan around accessible golf courses, but golf courses that are all in their own way, unique and special. And the people who live in this area and who are members in these clubs, perhaps because they've not had the opportunity to compare them with other places around the world Mm -hmm. like I have, don't appreciate just how wonderful and how lucky they are to have this kind of facility on the doorstep. No, absolutely. And I think that you, you, you kind of captured it perfectly there. I think it is a great part of the world, one that maybe people haven't explored enough. And uh, it certainly, it ticks every box you could possibly imagine. And you can really tailor your break to suit yourself you know there's a great variety and so many options that are available and it's uh all of them i think would uh complete what would be an unforgettable experience so andy i think that's just us about up on terms of time uh obviously you know i've I thoroughly enjoyed the discussion as always i think you've you've shared you've given us a real good taste of what carnistic country is all about 
such a great part of the world there. And again, so much of it remains untapped. So hopefully you'll get back here soon and you can go and play some of the other courses and go and see some of the other towns and some of the other hotels and, and tick off some of the places that you didn't have a chance to play. And hopefully we'll get you another chance to hit another tee shot on the 18th at Carnoustie. And hopefully this time you'll stay within bounds. So everybody... If it doesn't, I'm never going to tell you about it because you'll spread it around the oh, world. See, that, that, that is the virtue of being the host of the podcast. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's Golf Shake podcast. Uh, my name is Kieran Clark, alongside Golf Shake ambassador Andy Pickham. Uh, we want you to play, to play more and play better. Until next time, thank you for listening.